space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome back to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim, and with me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And we're moving on to sort of phase two, really, of our time travel series, because we, we we covered an Enterprise last time. We did Carpenter Street, and it got us thinking about the Temporal Cold War, and we thought we'd we'd have a bit of a detour and look at that. Yeah, we might, like, it, it spreads over quite a lot of episodes as the Temporal Cold War, so... We might do a couple of them and then have a break and go to somewhere else so that we just don't do. Yeah, and the the plan at the moment, because obviously we're, we're fast coming up on Lower Decks being released, so... Yeah, well, we got an announcement, didn't we, this yes, over this week. We now know, well, CBS will have it on August the 6th. And Still nothing for international. No, they're talking about distributing it through their own channels, which we don't really know what that means for the rest well, of the world. But Well, I wonder if it's going to be a bit like how we all got Disney Plus mm. for The Mandalorian, and with their Viacom buying back into CBS, so it's now CBS Viacom. Yeah, again. I mean, they if, have got... If they're going to have a, a worldwide one, Well. But... Yeah, the problem with that, though, is you get into all these licensing issues. And, you know, even Disney Plus were hit by that in the UK because we got a delayed release of it because they had to wait for the deals with Sky to expire. Yeah. And so I don't really know where CBS All Access, if they tried to release that in the UK, where it would stand because presumably they'd have to wait until whatever deal they've got with Netflix and Prime expires and... Well, you'd assume that um, I'd assume that Netflix have got a deal for all of Discovery as long as it runs, and I'd assume Amazon, because we're talking lots of money was put oh, into yeah, yeah, yeah. these series, that they've got the same for Picard for however many you would assume seasons so, it runs. But but then it it questions the viability of releasing a streaming service like that if they're missing. Something yeah. as big as Star Trek, it's you know, yeah. is it going to work? I mean, I don't know. Hopefully, we'll get an announcement pretty soon. But the yeah, plan- it's like it's it's almost like they're going back to the old days of TV with series, where if a series wasn't doing well on American TV, mm. they'd cut it and not look at how well it was doing worldwide. Yeah, and it, it's just madness. Like America isn't the be all and end all of your programming. Your worldwide market is worth. You'd probably be hard pushed with any series to actually lose money once you go into worldwide distribution. Oh no, especially as we've said, something like Star Trek, where you've got the fan base and you've got the merchandise and the sell-through yeah. stuff. But yeah, I mean, we're presuming that we will get it here in some form. And yeah, what... I, I saw one, and they were saying that, and I can't find any collaboration for this, but. They seem to think that there's an announcement coming for Amazon to have it. Yeah, well, that suits me. I've got Netflix. As long as it's Netflix or Amazon, I'm happy because yeah. I've got them too. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, but what we're planning on doing when that comes out is to cover the episodes, but with them only being half-hour episodes, uh, we think we'll probably have time to cover the latest Lower Decks as well as another time travel, whether yeah. it's Temporal Cold War or regular time travel. So that's... 
that's our plans for the foreseeable future until yeah and we could we're sort of like there's a lot of guesses now on when discovery will be dropped due to lower decks because we don't we're not expecting it to start at the same time you'll have both series running at once we'll want to stagger them so the thinking discovery will probably start maybe just into the second half of lower decks Maybe. I mean, I won't so be surprised. Say, so good guesses at the moment is sort of mid-September, maybe the very beginning of October. Yeah, the I won't be surprised if they wait until Lower Decks is done, so I think it's only 10 and then yeah, it is. go into it then. But, yeah, we're still waiting on that date. Yeah. Um, but Did we enjoy the, tr- the trailer that we got? I thought it was all right. I thought it was... Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. It gave us, us a glimpse of the... A glimpse of people, it sort of showing us a bit of everybody. Yeah, and it's sort of it, it's sort of quite fan service in a way. So it's dealing with things like people have always said, like who cleans out the holodeck and yeah. things like that. So yeah, you know, it, it does look quite amusing. I think people will be up, up in arms saying it's not really canon and all of this oh, business. Like, well, you, all the normal hate on I YouTube mean, and social media, your midnight sedge. Oh right, yeah, though. they've they've been they've just, they've just been shocking immediately. Yeah, I mean, my view on it is, I mean, watching it, it doesn't look like it's canon. It looks, it looks like it's an affectionate sort of parody, and we're not meant to take <coughs> it too seriously. Yeah, and I'm happy with that. Like, I, I don't mind. Yeah, give us a funny series. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Just enjoy yourself for half an hour. And yeah, um, if it's if it's sort of like a secondary ship and all that, and we've just got the the crew you don't normally see, it can become canon because they're probably not really going to affect anything. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I'm I'm happy for it. I want to see where it goes, and yeah, we'll be covering it as and when we get there. But yeah. um, for now, then we've gone back to the beginning of Enterprise. So this is is it Broken Bow or Broken Bow? Could Broken be either. Bow. Broken I Bow. Think. Okay. So they don't actually say it on the screen, it's just the name well, of the place, don't. isn't um, it? I've always thought it was Broken Bow, but broke, it could be Broken Bow, because it's like an old American village, isn't it, town, so it could be yeah, sort of like could be. the, yeah. I don't the know. Native Indian. But anyway, so yeah, this is the, the pilot of Enterprise, and yeah, there's a lot of things, I mean, we're going to talk about how it was trying to be different and everything as we go through, but... So we, we start off, we've got like a flashback to who we later find out is Captain Archer, but this is young Jonathan Archer and he's painting his ship. And there's quite a few things even in this really short scene, like you've got a reference to Zephyrin Cochran. Yeah, which I thought was nice. Like, this was made after First Contact. Yeah, obviously. exactly, and it, obviously we get the cameo from James Cromwell later on. But yeah, which I thought was really nice that they did that. Yeah, it's a good one. So they've always had a, a character from a previous series in a pilot, but obviously that's not doable when you're doing a prequel, but they've, yeah. they've done sort of the next best thing and got someone who it makes sense to have them in there. And you get Archer's dad's sort of... There's this kind of Vulcan racism kind of thing going on, which is going to be a theme of this episode and, and of the series as well. Yeah, like, I remember seeing this when I first saw this and being quite shocked of how the Vulcans were with with Earth. Yeah, but also how the, the Earth people react to the Vulcans, because we... You know, you get to the end of First Contact and you imagine that it's just all sunshine and rainbows from there. Yeah. Uh, also, based on everything that we've seen 
through TOS. Yeah, with exactly. With Stock on board and then TNG with Vulcans and obviously Voyager Vulcans were heavily involved. and Yeah, and, but we find out that's not, you know, it wasn't all plain sailing and we, yeah. we get to see a lot of that. And it's an interesting wrinkle to throw in it. It was. I, I, I have no, no problem with it. It made sense that the Vulcans were heavily involved. Yeah. And then and also you sort of see, and you can understand it to an extent that the Vulcans are trying to trying to hold men back, man back from going into the galaxy and getting yeah. too much too soon. That's it. And obviously the, the mentality of humans and Vulcans is so different that you humans have got this passionate desire to get out there and explore yeah. and everything, and they were always going to do it, regardless yeah. of the, the reservations that the, the Vulcans might have. But then you've also got the fact that Vulcans are so, so long-lived compared yeah. to humans. Like... It's sort of like you're going, you've held us back for 100 years, but to a Vulcan, that's like half your lifetime. Yeah, exactly. So it that's... Isn't, it isn't the same sort of... It isn't the same, isn't 100 years to them. No, that's it. Like, you you know, the, there's probably Vulcans here who were on that first ship from first contact. Yeah. Thinking, well, you know, what are you worried about? Just take it steady. Yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah, get out there. Steady. It's but, only been hundred years. But then you've got humans who've lived and died in that time who want to get out there. Exactly. And... Where you start looking at like, like they're thinking, Vulcans are thinking, well, it's not been that long, and humans are thinking, hold on, it's like three, four generations. Yeah. Here. And you, you've got this thing, uh, you know, Archer saying his dad wanted to see his ship fly, and obviously he's passed away before he got to do that. Yeah. So it's the. The dynamics sort of really sort of personified by Archer, really, because he's he's someone who's seen his father work towards that dream, not achieved it in his lifetime, and he doesn't want to be the same. He wants yeah. to get out there. And then we we jump forward thirty years. Then so we get first thing we get really is a Klingon, and it's very much a TNG DS Nine Voyager makeup oh, Klingon. Oh yeah, there was no alteration to the Klingons for Enterprise. No, and this it was established, which I quite liked. Yeah, see, this is this is interesting because obviously we've got this again now with Discovery, and people are saying, well, they've changed the look, and what people sometimes forget is that they changed the look from the sixties Klingons. To the uh, TNG they also, Klingons. also, during Enterprise, actually changed the look of the Klingons yeah. direct on into the 60s well, that, style. Well, that's it. Whereas what this looked like it was doing is going, look, this is what the Klingons have always looked like. We know they didn't look like that in the 60s, but you've just got to accept that they were meant yeah. to. But, but then it goes back on that and tries to explain well, it, tries it later to, on. It tries, it tries to retcon it, doesn't it, through it was this and that and... Yeah, and you know it, it, it was it was very messy. It kind of worked, but it, I remember at the time I was willing to just go with this. Just go, yeah, that's fine. Let, yeah. Let's all pretend they've always looked like that and not worry about it too much. And we're getting a similar thing going on in in Discovery now, like we talked about with uh, the new Enterprise set, where Pike says she looks as good as I remember, and it's like, yeah, we've just got to accept that this is what the Enterprise has always looked like. Even yeah, though I, I, like, it didn't, you I'm know. Quite, I like how the Enterprise looks. It, they were never going to do the Enterprise bridge as it was. No, exactly. And because TV budgets have moved on, our, our technology has moved on. Yeah, exactly. And aesthet- what, aesthetically, we've moved on. Like it, yeah. it doesn't look cool anymore. But 
And I thought that's what they were going for with the Klingons, oh. like, let's just look the other way. But anyway, they, they go back and they change that later. And we get the Sullivan, which is the first time we've seen them. And yeah, now, I thought, like, this actually, re-watching it and thinking about it, this actually quite annoys me because we, the whole thing was before it started, it was 100 years before. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we can, can look at how they meet all these, all your races that we've, that you're used to knowing. We can have all the first contact situations. And the first thing they do, and this this Sullivan, it's within probably the first minute or two of the episode, mm. they've introduced a new species that has never even been mentioned, let alone been on screen before. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the thing, and it's, it, it's not like they're an unimportant race, like they're a major player in Enterprise, and they'll do this yeah. again with the Zindi later on. And again, you get in Discovery, like, you know, we've got the Kelpians, but the Kelpians are not a major galactic power you know, yeah. so you you can sort of believe, okay, well, can, we've not come across them. coming to Starfleet. Yeah, but then you've got the Sullivan, who are clearly a very big thing, and they're even more so with the <laughs> Zindi. And, but, having said that, I do like the makeup on the, the Sullivan. I think they look really cool. I like the... I think the CGI still stands up all right, you know, where, like, he sort of... Most of the CGI does. Some of it looks a bit... A bit ropey. Yeah, but like where, where he goes under the door frame and stuff, I think that's pretty cool. I don't, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's still not bad. And I like that it's it's sort of very down to earth. Like where, if forgive the puns, so obviously we start on Earth, but um, you know, the show like the guy coming out with a gun. Like obviously it's a futuristic gun, but this is something we've seen loads of times in TV and film where it's a farmer defending his farm. Yeah, and yeah, it, it was very very typical of what you've seen it we've seen in movies yeah. and tv series of american farmer and it's it's grounding it in a way that star trek hasn't always done and i think you get lots of elements of that throughout the episode <clears throat> so now's the time to move on to the opening credits so i think what we should do is talk about these once and we won't keep coming back to them every episode because obviously the the credits to enterprise are notorious yeah, um, the the very my aren't they? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I really like the credits. Yeah, and I think the credits are brilliant. I don't like the song. No, I'm eg- exactly on the same page. I think the what they're trying to do is great. Where it's showing the sailing ship, and then it shows the shuttle, and it's like the evolution of space travel yeah. taking us up to where we are yeah, now kind show, of thing like the, the show the iss and then building on from that uh, yeah and you know we get the the phoenix and the other enterprises and it creates a weird sort of paradox though that we've got you've got the nasa shuttle enterprise which was only named enterprise because of a letter writing campaign from star trek fans in the real and they world never went into space but yeah, but but now within the Star Trek timeline, it's still called Enterprise, even though Star Trek doesn't exist to make it Enterprise. Yeah. So it <laughs> it exists in this weird sort of metatextual yeah. space. But I like it, and yeah, so I, it is really quite inspiring. Like you know, showing the astronauts, and but then the one thing is that, <laughs> and I, and I know why they did it, but I still think it was a bad decision that. 
this wasn't called Star Trek Enterprise no, at first. It was just the first called... two seasons. It was just called Enterprise. Yeah, it, and it was somewhat weird. It wasn't even the first episode of season three. They changed it. It was like episode three. Yeah. So it's just a weird decision, and yeah, it because they wanted it to be to be different but still recognisable. Well, um, is it Rick Berman has said that? Like they were quite obviously. How many years did we had it? We'd had a lot of Star Trek. Yeah. Before Enterprise, and I think in a way it was right that he said Star Trek is a big enough recognised brand mm. that we don't have to say that it's Star Trek this. Yeah, absolutely. Or Star Trek that, and you can see. And I think he had a good point. And but in, in retrospect, I think he was wrong. Yeah, it's it's just pointless. It, it doesn't. It, it neither adds nor detracts anything. It, the only thing it just makes you think, why you know, <laughs> why yeah. bother? It's not. You're not fooling anyone into thinking they're not watching Star Trek, you know. Yeah, no- so give give the fans what they want and call it yeah. Star Trek. <laughs> Nobody's going to turn on Season 3, Episode 3 and go, oh, what, shit, I've been watching Star Trek for two years, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's just... I didn't realise. <laughs> yeah, oh, you got me there. It, yeah, very weird. But then the song is awful. Like, I, you know. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's I've... just rubbish. I know that there are people out there who like the song. Yeah. And they're wrong. Yes, <laughs> I I agree. It's Yeah, it's not very good. Uh, as no. I said, I'm not going to bang on and on about it, but... No, I don't even think for the time... Like, it hasn't carried, It hasn't dated well as a song. No. But it wasn't even like it was a really good song at the time. No, it's some sappy. It was it Rod Stewart originally or something like that, and but then yeah. they've got some other geezer to sing it, and yeah, yeah it, it's just it, why again? Yes, it's this it's awful. It's this. Well, every other Trek show's done an instrumental, so we're gonna do something different. It's no, you should have yeah, just every gone. Every other Trek show's done an instrumental that's been really iconic, and yeah, it's. And the show's immediately recognisable just from a few bars. Yeah. So we won't do that. I mean, it is still recognisable from a few bars, but not in a good way. So. Yeah. <laughs> then we come out of the credits then and we get Archer and Trip and it, it's almost like a parallel to the motion picture scene where you've got them in a little pod and they're coming up to yeah, the... Yeah, didn't you think this looked that nice? It was almost like... But the pod... Looked almost like what we have for a, for a casual nowadays yeah, not, spacecraft. Yeah, not a million so miles away. It sort of like it was a nice little... I thought that was like a nice little touch that had that web, same aesthetic that we have nowadays yeah. for space casual. And, you know, on, along the same lines, you've got Archer who's wearing much more recognisably contemporary clothing. Like, he's yeah. got a baseball cap on and he's got just like slacks sort of thing you know he's yeah they haven't gone for um silly spandex co- yeah. clothes that everyone wears in the future which i don't think everyone will wear no silly I, spandex all in ones i don't think they will i think obviously fashions will change but you know people are still gonna wear jeans and people are still gonna yeah. wear smart trousers and so, so yeah i like that that again it's it's grounding it a bit and there's also the language is a bit more contemporary. Like he talks about scratching the paint and yeah, you know, I the, thought that was thought that was a nice touch. Watch my paint work. Yeah, there's just a few bits there that make it feel a little bit but, more yeah, recognisable. Like you can tell he's already cares about this shit. Yeah. Before he's taking it out, he cares about this shit because like he's there from our last test. These panels need changing because yeah. we're shaking. 
Um, make sure that they get the paint that it all matches. Yeah, well, it's because it's, it's his dad's engine, isn't it? So he's got yeah. a, a huge level of personal investment. And they actually go back to it, don't they? In, I think it's season two, there's like flashbacks where it's him and his mate and it, it might have been that Archer wasn't going to be the captain at one point and yeah, he really fights for it. The development of yeah, the ship. exactly. So I think that's good. I, I do think Archer is a little bit bland at this stage. Like, obviously, last week we watched a season three episode where he's gone much darker and I think it's it's better for him as a character because at this stage... He's a little bit clean cut, a little bit goody two shoes sort of thing. Um, but I think you've also got the fact that this is the first group of humans who are going to be going out there, and they were very naive. Mm, yeah. It, and like we've we've mentioned already, the Vulcans were holding them back. And when you look at it, the Vulcans were because they weren't ready for what was out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they they were almost being a bit protective of them. And you know, yeah. th- this is the we do get a flaw to Archer, which is this attitude towards Vulcans that comes across, and he sort of uses the Klingon situation really to leverage putting the Enterprise into service. It's you know you get the impression that they wouldn't have done that, but they they well, I got the impression that the Enterprise was going to launch. It's it's due to launch, but probably not in the three days later, but. Yeah. Maybe maybe in a couple of weeks. And the Vulcans are sort of trying to delay it and delay it, and Archie uses this as a way to go, right, we've got to go now. Yeah, yeah, this is a good time for us to get going. Which, yeah, they keep getting held back. They've got the ship ready. Yeah. No, I'm all for it. I think it's good. And I, I, I do think there are strengths to Archie's character, and I do like his determination and everything. And we get a reference here, which at the time, didn't mean too much. But when you look at what's come after, like they talk about the transporter being new and he says, oh no, he won't even put his dog through it. <coughs> yeah. And we know that something bad happens when Scotty puts his dog through it in the, the Kelvin <laughs> timeline. So that that sort of works nicely as a little throwback yeah. uh, when we get there. And then we meet Reed and Mayweather. Now, these are not my favourite characters. That. There's not much to either of them at this stage, I don't think. And Yeah, I think there's more to Mayweather than there used to read. Yeah. I, I think Reed stayed a very two-dimensional character all the way through. Yeah, this. I think he did. It's, it, yeah. it like it, And he's this annoying sort of British stereotype that you get in American TV a lot, where yeah. he, he speaks in this very clipped sort of... Um, you know, upper class sort of English, yeah. and there just there isn't a lot to him, and you know, and and you know, this is a pilot, so you can't spend a lot of time with everybody, but they're just both a little bit bland at the moment. But like you say, Mayweather does get a little bit more. You get a bit more, like you know, you have straight away Mayweather goes the gravity plating feels a bit off. Yeah, like and, all that. and, and he's like used, and it goes he's a boomer, and you fight, and it just. You find out that it was raised on transport ships, but transport ships going very, very slowly. Yeah, and they have these references to, oh, well, the Earth gravity must feel weird to you. And, you know, this is something that um, they go into a lot more in The Expanse. 
yeah. with, with the belters and their their physiology is fundamentally different because they they've never been to earth and everything but it's nice that we're sort of touching on that here and then yeah. we, we get the introduction of hoshi the, she seems a bit more interesting at this stage like the the at least giving her a bit more of a sort of an agency like you know she's the the language expert she's the translator yeah she's she's <coughs> real she's really good at languages she's like probably the best person on earth at languages yeah and it's that's, why he wants her. that's why and that's why she wants to be on it when she, it's when she hears the Klingon language and it's like yeah. oh I get to be the person who decides well, this it, well that's how he bribes her to join because she goes I've got exams in two weeks I'll, I'll be free after that which tells you that she was off to be part of the crew yeah but the Enterprise wasn't due to launch till at least after that period if she was yeah, free yeah. to go and do this in the meantime yeah that's it yeah I've not sort of put that together yeah you're right and then the final kind of member of the crew, we get to Paul, who we find out the Vulcans have assigned her to the ship. Yeah, they sort of badgered the Admiral to let someone on, and she's there as a science advisor. Yeah, and there's going to be a bit of conflict there throughout the rest of the episode, which is all good stuff. Yeah, and like, like I think Hatch has got quite a good point here when he finds out to po- when he's talking to Paul, and he goes, I don't want every single thing I say on my bridge... Uh, reporting to the Vulcan High Command yeah. the day after, otherwise, otherwise you won't be on my bridge. And yeah, and that shows the level of mistrust between them. Yeah, that he, he even feels he has to say that. You know, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a relationship we've not seen between Vulcans and humans at this stage, and it yeah, does give it, us. And, and like we keep saying, you can see it from the Vulcan point of view. That it, they haven't, that they don't think they've held them back for a long time. Yeah. Because I, because I, you would view time differently when you live longer. Of course You've got you would. To. Yeah. But and you can also see it from the human point of view that they feel held back. And that's it. And it's what we're getting in this story. A lot of is what Topol and Archer kind of start to learn from each other. And then yeah. we we go on to before the launch. With this is where we get the the cameo from James Cromwell as Cochrane. And this, he, he sort of talks about going where no man's gone before, and yeah, it, it is. It, I, I think this is a great speech. Yeah, I not, do. It's not your, cla- it's not the classic Kirk one, but it is the classic Kirk one, but with other bits put in. Yeah, it's got all the elements there, and you can see yeah. where they adapted that from. And it, well, it occurred to me here as well. Like, obviously, they changed where no man to where no one in TNG. Uh, yeah. But it occurred to me here that when it's saying no man, it's not literally saying no male, it's saying no human. You know, it's yeah. it, because the Vulcans have been there, but man as a species hasn't. And so it does yeah. reframe that a little bit and makes it sort of less sexist than it, it's been accused of being. I don't think it was ever meant to be sexist. I think it's no, just a, a way of speaking. No, yeah, absolutely. I think that man was always meant to mean human, but I, I like that it, it sort of subtly touches on that here. And then, yeah, and, uh, like, we find out as well, like, we know they're going to Kronos to return the Klingon. Yeah. And we actually know how far away Kronos is. Oh, yeah. Because in Into Darkness... On one of the panels, when they were heading to Kronos, it uh, points out that it's uh, in the same sort of system of stars as Amiga Leonis, which right. is actually a real-life star system. 
Okay. Which is 112 light years away. Right. So, which at warp 4.45 is actually a 448 day journey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so someone's not done the done the maths there. I've actually been. I've looked at this because there's a, there's a few different references to how fast they go here. Because yeah. like we have on the shuttle where Archer and Tripper looking at the Enterprise and they go, uh, it'd be Neptune and back in six minutes. Yeah, and that's right for what four point five at TOS scale and the so and right the so they're using the old Cochrane measurements of yeah. warp drive before T because it's before T TOS and it works out at that. There's another point where. Archer says we're going at nearly 30 million kilometres per per second. Yeah. And that works out right for, what, 4.5? So it's just <laughs> where Kronos is. 112 that... light years, what, well, 4.5 isn't right. Yeah. <laughs> that would, It's actually, uh, what, 21.71 <laughs> to go to do that in four days. <laughs> Fair enough. And they're funny about getting there as well. Like, you know, we go to Rigel and... Well... Yeah, to take an extra 15 light year trip. <laughs> so on the way there, but, then, we get we get introduced to, all, um, like, we get scenes of the crew and everything. So we, we meet Flocks and we get that scene with Trip and yeah, Mayweather. Yeah, I really like Yeah, I like Flocks. And, like, to be fair, apart from Pulaski, Star Trek is really good at casting the Doctor. <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a fair fair comment. Yeah, and yeah. and yeah, Flox yeah, is really good. Great. Like, I I like how he how he's sort of like how he's got his animals and all that. There, yeah. he's got them for, to do different treatments. And he's right. He goes, well, if you're heading out there, you've got to open your broaden your horizons to different things than just what yeah. you're used to. And again, it makes it a little bit more sort of down and dirty than we usually see. It's yeah, yeah. it's before we've got. Sort of like the hyper spray for yeah, everything. Exactly. We're not leaning on the, the technology that does everything. It's a bit more hands-on. And yeah, we also see around this time, this is where we see the Sullivan, and the, the, you know this is where the, the Temple Cold War comes in. They're talking to, I think they call him Future Guy in fan circles, don't they? So yeah. It's I, this... I'm... I haven't watched all of this Temporal Cold Arc yet, but he's definitely not mentioned by name in this episode. No, and I've read various things about who it was meant to be if Enterprise had have run its full course and everything. Uh, but well, to be fair, the Temporal Cold War was ended well within Enterprise's run. Yeah, but I think it was wrapped up quicker than it was meant to do. I think the... Well, that was uh, sort of like the producers got... The Temporal Cold War was forced on them by the studio. Yeah, I can imagine that because... When we were doing Enterprise, the studio went, um, we want to be more sci-fi and we want to have uh, more time travel in it. Yeah, it's... And that's where they they come up from Temporal Cold War. It's sort of like, but we're doing a a show before Kirk. Yeah, (laughs) it's sort of like trying to have your cake and eat it. Like, it's... It's a prequel. Star, Star Trek. I'm not being funny, but it's Star Trek. How do you get more sci-fi? Well, yeah, but yeah, it's it, it's a prequel, but we've got elements of the far future, so we're we're covering all the bases, kind yeah. of thing. Mm. But yeah, we'll track how it how it gets along and how it holds yeah, together it as we do. That, 
was it Rick Berman and Michael Pillier were the main? Uh, I think so. Yeah, main ones for this. Who who had the, like the pedigree right the way through all of the yeah. This period of Star Trek on TV from '87. Yeah, they were the sort of the 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 yeah, figureheads so, of it, if you like. Yeah. So it's interesting that literally from episode one, we've got the studio interfering. Yeah, I mean, of, of where they want to go. So it makes you wonder how much that's actually affected the whole of Enterprise moving forward. Well, it does, because, you know, things like, or we'll just call it Enterprise, things like Let's Have a Theme Tune that's sung, and it does, a lot of it does feel like it's been mandated from somewhere. You've got to make it with a broader appeal. You've got to do this. So, yeah, the plot sort of kicks into gear and everything. So the, the Sullivan turn up basically to kidnap the Klingon. And you get a bit of tension between Archer and T'Pol over what do we do. T'Pol's sort of like, well, the mission's done. You know, we failed. We have to go yeah, back. Yeah, we Let's go back. And she's like, oh, she's there. Like, you said so many so many things, but I can't translate these. And you can see T'Pol doesn't want to say what... Yeah. That she... Um, that she knows what he said. Yeah, like, see, he, this is where they, they work out they've got to go to Rigel. Yeah. And obviously, but, T'Pol knows what that means, but he's trying to keep yeah, him away from it. Yeah, she's sort of, like, it. being hesitant. She don't want to tell him, which... Well, presu- so you can see why there is this distrust. Like, you can. The Vulcans, obviously, are holding things back and not yeah, revealing and everything. Presumably, her orders, to some extent, on this mission are... Not sabotage it, but if you get the chance to cut it short, take it. Yeah. And yeah, so, if it looks like they're failing, push for them coming coming back. That yeah. they failed. And then they come back, they failed, and we can say, right, this is why you shouldn't have gone out there, and and we'll hold them back <laughs> another fifty years or hundred years. And it's like I think there's an element there of like Vulcan pride, like the because they're saying you're not ready. They they want to be proved right in that as well. Yeah, the, it's almost like a superiority complex. Yeah. They think that they are. They think they are cleverer. They think they are more advanced. Yeah, and they they don't they're more want... enlightened. So we should be listening to what they say. They will be right. And yeah, they don't want to take like the the bruised ego of going. Okay, no, <coughs> you you were right. You were ready for it. So yeah, yeah. There's an inter- lots of interesting dynamics with the Vulcans. Um, so, when they get to Rigel, then, there's a nice shot of the shuttle actually landing. Um, you know, this is something that now we can use CGI a lot more. We didn't used to get things like that as much, so... Well, well the tra- original uh, Star Trek scripts, or mm. idea, was to have a ship landing every week. Yeah. And the transporter only came about because they couldn't afford a budget to land a ship on a planet every week. Oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <clears throat> it, it was the same. It was a budget cutting exercise. Was the transporter? No, absolutely, and obviously one that you know was quite ingenious and uh, benefited oh, yeah. them in the long run. But you're right, yeah. But like now that they've got this CGI, they can do it. And you know, again, there's all this stuff about the transporters on un- not untested, but you know, it, nobody trusts it as much. But as this yeah, show it, goes it's on, a new, it's a new technology, and it's not. It's not a. Um, clear to be used on living people, but, living matter. But as this goes along, as Enterprise goes along, they do lean on the transporter more and more, but 
in the first season, certainly when they used it, it was a big thing. Like as oh, well, yeah. you know, we get later in this episode and um, in later episodes in the season as well. And so yeah, Archer meets. Um, she's called Sarin, who turns out to be another Sullivan, and this is yeah, where he. She, she can tell if she can tell if you're uh, truthful or not, or trustworthy by kissing you, which is fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Archer didn't seem to be complaining, so no. Well, um, he, he said in other circumstances, I'd be very flattered. Yeah, he <laughs> doesn't seem as keen when she reverts to looking like a Sullivan, though. But no. you know, there you go. And yeah, so they've given like a message to the Klingon and this is where Archer finds out about the Temporal Cold War and we we find out the Sullivan are taking orders from the far future and in exchange for that, they're having like their genetics accelerated, which is why they can... Yeah, they're being genetically altered and giving genetic augmentation. And that's why they can do this cool morphing stuff and... Bend the bodies. Yeah, like... We don't get a lot about it. It's just kind of thrown in there is there's a temporal cold war, but we don't get much explanation as to what it actually is. Yeah, but it's one of them things where if if you're going to cover the temporal cold war, which we are, you might as well cover it all. We've got the time to cover it. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's do it. (laughs) No, absolutely. And I don't object to that. Like, you know, introducing it in a, a small way. Like, it's setting the seed of it, and, you know, the promise is yeah, we'll come back to this. To You're going to find out more they, about it. I think there'd have been huge fan upcry if they'd done too much more with the Temporal Cold Water in the first episode. <laughs> yeah, I think it would have overcomplicated it. They, they, I think a pilot, you've got to do a lot of things. You've got to introduce all the characters. You've got to have... Uh, a mission that's self-contained in its own right and an entertaining story and you've also yeah. got to lay the seeds for where you're going in the future so yeah i think it's just about right what we get and the the main sort of conflict to this episode becomes for this section of it at least to paul and archer because to paul takes command and everything we've seen so far leads us to believe right well she's going to send them back to earth straight away yeah, like, I thought Trip had an interesting point here, and I can't understand how he couldn't enforce it. When he goes, hold on, you're only here as an advisor from the Vulcans. You're not a member of uh, Starfleet. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, you haven't got the authority to take command. You're not the second in command of this. Yeah, it's very peculiar. And you're right, it's not sort of satisfactorily resolved. It's kind of hand-waved over, and... Yeah, and she, go, she goes, well... I'll send a message to so-and-so, so-and-so, and by tomorrow you'll have your answer. And in the meantime, I'm in command. It's sort of, yeah. hang on. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, yeah. you're not. Fuck off. Yeah. There's 100... I can't remember what the crew event price is. 100 and... Yeah, something. About 100 or... It might even be a bit less than that, 80-odd. Yeah. I'm sure that them 80-odd people all being human, all having this bit of resentment about the Vulcans yeah. being holding them back, and not going to just let T'Pol take command like that. No, exactly, you'd think, wouldn't you? But then we wouldn't have the dramatic conflict of the episode, so we'll have to let it go. And then we get a, a second quick flashback here to Archer flying his ship, and he crashes it, and the, you, this is where you get his dad saying, don't be afraid of the wind, and yeah. this is going to come back at the end as well. 
Um, and that goes straight into the decontamination scene, which there's no getting around. This is just gratuitous. You know, there's no... It's there purely for the the titillation. At least it's equal opportunities titillation, yeah. you know. They... To, be, to be fair, like, this makes a lot more sense. I know that how it's, how it's done and all that. They're rubbing, rubbing oil in each of us bodies from that, from the... Imagery, but this makes a lot more sense scientifically than going <laughs> yeah, up through the transporter and you've gone through the biofilter. No, no, you've it... got in a decontamination chamber. You've got all these uh, biogels that need to be rubbed on to antibacterials. Yeah, <laughs> you stay there for so long before you can come on to main co- contact with no, the it, group. It, that it, contact decontamination makes a lot more sense than you've been through a biofilter in the transporter. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense, but we know why this is in there. Yeah, and, we know why it's in there, but I and, think I think from a technological standpoint, I think this is very it's very sensible, and they had to have something to get if they're not going to be using the transport, which has been established in Star Trek with a biofilter. That doesn't always work, as we know, anyway. Yeah. But you do need something for decontamination. No, nope, fair back on enough. Ship. Fair enough. But, mm, yeah, they can just about get away with the justification of it, but they're not fooling anybody. Um, so, But we get a bit of a twist, which is that T'Pol has pretty much decided to do what Archer wanted to do, and she uses her Vulcan logic to justify it. She says, well, my job is to anticipate what you'd want. So that's why I've done it. Anticipate the captain's decision. Yeah, and he says, well, no, you you could have done whatever the hell you wanted to, so you didn't have to do what I'd want to do, but... And that's a very, very Spock thing to do. I think this is... It's quite nice that we've seen this early on from T'Pol. Yeah. That she's almost supporting them within what she's allowed to do. Yeah, she is. And as I say, it's a very Mr. Spock thing to do, you know. It, it, you can you can bend the rules of logic as long as you don't quite break them, yeah. you know. And, yeah, so it, ultimately they end up chasing... They're trying to get the Klingon back. They end up at the Sullivan base, which looks pretty cool. And I, yeah, I, I like, like these hubs. Yeah, it's all the different ships and everything. Yeah. And we get introduced to a lot of the the technology how that's different to what we've seen before so we've we've not got a a tractor beam we've got a grappler and we've not got shields we've got plating yeah we've got uh, we polarize the plating which makes sense yeah so yeah i quite like all of that stuff and then they get the phase pistols for the first time and it's like these are brand new and they've only got two settings stun and kill and yeah, so yeah. It, it is establishing this is a prequel. We're not quite there yet, and yeah, all we, this stuff's new to these characters. Yeah, it, like I remember with Enterprise, like especially from the bridge and all that. There was a lot of uproar that, oh, but it looks more advanced than TOS. And we said this, Lord, you can't do that. You've got to go with it. That our aesthetic will look different than what they did in the sixties. Oh yeah, of course it will. I mean. It, it's always, always going to be a problem. Yeah, you're going to have a few <laughs> screens that are different and, and displays, because we've already got that. Yeah, we're already better, miles better than the, they were at in the, yeah. the 60s, you know. So, but... you've got to appreciate that. But as long as you don't have 
it can look different, but it can't do more than what they could do in TOS. Yeah, that's the that's the key thing. You've still got to be limited by the future yeah, technology. Yeah, you got to have. You can you can only have something that can be like you could have like the phases could be could have been as good as what they had in TOS. Yeah, but because it had been a great design that lasted a hundred plus years because it worked. Yeah, <laughs> but you can't have something that. You can't have a better phaser than what they no, have in No, that's it. And, you know, like you say, they, they can't have... Um, they can't go faster and they can't do this, can't do that. So, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, so we go into sort of the action at the end of the episode. So they go to rescue the Klingon and Archer's left on the station. There's these weird time distortions and while that's going on you've got Trip and Topola arguing about whether they should help Archer or yeah and Topola's quite right here and and like and Trip goes we've got to go back for him and she goes we can't we will get destroyed I've got to think of the entire ship and crew yeah and he said but Archer said to come back in five minutes and he went and Topol goes he said that because he knows how you react that you wouldn't have left him otherwise yeah (laughs) and she says like you know there won't be a ship for him to come back to if we don't do something else and there's a weird bit with um, with Hershey like Topol says oh Hershey I'm going to need your ears on this and I can see what they're trying to do which is like we're trying to show Hershey's capability and why she's essential but it's not for translating it's literally to listen to something and pick out what somebody's saying yeah so he's like well we didn't really need that you could have done that just by turning it up I I like that they're trying to incorporate her into it and it you know we need your particular set of skills but you really don't in this situation to be fair I'm fine with this I'm fine with them using oh I am but it just seems a bit bit silly like when she says we need your ear you think oh it's going to be she's going to have to translate something but anyway so while Archer's arguing with the the Sully band, like we get all this stuff about he knows more about Archer than Archer knows about himself, and yeah, he knows his na- he already knows his name and everything. He knows and... when he's gonna die, but he says that's gonna change because I'm gonna kill you, sort of thing. And you know, it's interesting, and again, it's it's tying into this the temporal cold war that we're gonna. Yeah, how did you like when we have? That time guy, whoever he is. Yeah. Don't you think it looks like he's almost sort of mid tra- in mid-transport? Mm, yeah, Which is very effect. much how they did it on Relativity with Transporters. So, yeah. so I think it ties in a little bit there that he's mid-transport, so he's distorted. He's obviously yeah. don't want to reveal himself. Yeah, I can go with that. I mean, it's, yeah, well, say we'll keep an eye on him when we see him again and see if we can work out who he's meant to be and everything. But um, I really like, there's a bit where Archer's fighting with the Sullivan and the, the Sullivan bends his arm round to pick the phaser up. Yeah, uh, yeah that's a sort of type, almost looks like his hand goes in a knot, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it does, but it's, you know, it, it's sort of like the the T-1000 in Terminator 2, like where it can recalibrate itself yeah. or which way it's facing and everything. So I think that's a really neat effect, and I think that holds up well. Yeah, it did hold up, did that one. And then... It's like the nice part where when the when Sullivan gets hold of the phaser, but time's distorted in that room, and he finds yeah. the Archer, and Archer has time to move because he sees the phaser being... Yeah, 
yeah, it is. It's it's a decent sequence. I mean, it's it's a little bit like uh, what they did in We'll Always Have Paris, where Data was in the sort of three different time zones. Yeah. And, but it's, I think it's. I think this looks a lot. This actually looks a lot. Yeah, better. it's done better here. Yeah. And you know, it's a it's an interesting sequence. It works, and then I've obvi- seen it. It still holds up. Yeah. Effects wise, now it, the effects still holds up. However, they did it. Yeah, it's I think so. Exactly the same. And then, obviously, the B marcher out, so they they decide to risk it, use the transporter, and they get him to safety. Well, well, I, I, like to be fair, as soon as the transport was revealed and they said it's not fit for humans, it's only for cargo, yeah, and plant matter. You knew that at some point it was going to have to be used to save someone. That oh yeah, yeah, you could <laughs> you could see it coming, and yeah. And this is this is not the fault of the script or anything. This is just because it's Scott Bakula who's so famous for Quantum Leap. When he gets beamed, you almost expect him to say, "Oh boy." Yeah. Yeah, and it would have been too cheesy if they'd done it, but you that, you almost want it though. Don't yeah, you? like it's it is quite a few years since. Yeah, it is, and you just can't get that thought since. But it was it was still. That was what he was known for. Oh, yeah, and I think he, he always will be, you know, and he's done yeah. lots and lots of things, but, you know, he'll but always... Still, uh, he's still massive, he's massive series. Now he's on NCIS. Oh, yeah, he's... yeah. You know, he's he's not been, not gone short of work. Um, but, yeah, always, I can't see him beam and not expect to hear him say, oh, boy. I know, it, it, it is something that I think that I'd have liked it just once in... Yeah, Enterprise. especially with the temporal cold war. Why the why somebody didn't slip it in just as yeah. a little Easter egg? Not in. Yeah, I think I think nowadays how Easter eggs are. Yeah, that it would have been put in. I think maybe at this stage you putting it in the pilot had maybe been too on the nose, too cheesy. But there but, wasn't the thing of Easter egg like nowadays. Everything's got to have Easter eggs. So yeah. I honestly think if Enterprise was being made now, it might maybe not in the pilot, but one of the episodes. Oh yeah, done it. you'd have it at some point. Yeah. yeah. And then we go to the Klingon homeworld, and the the set looks very much how we've seen it in TNG. Um, Which makes sense. It and does. I'm, I'm quite happy with that continuity. And then it, but it's we get a nicer sort of CGI establishing shot. We're not just using the same map painting that we've used throughout TNG yeah. and DS9. So yeah, pretty cool. And then we find out it's in his blood um, that carries that information. And there's the bit where, oh, I, I suppose that saying thank you is. I know they haven't got a word for thank you. And yeah, like when. Uh, at this point, not knowing what we know now, you think, well, why have the Klingons got this for the temporal cold war and being sent this? But now we know that the Klingons have the time crystals. Oh, yeah, the Klingons are all over so, it. <laughs> so it actually makes a lot of sense. And I bet a lot of people who watch Discovery don't actually pick up on all this stuff. You know, all the haters about time crystals. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it does make sense. The Klingons are probably a bigger part of the Temporal Cold War than you might expect because, yeah, yeah. They, they do have a technology there. And, yeah, we, we wrap up the episode. So back on Enterprise, there's this thing of, well, the Vulcans are going to pick T'Pol up unless you want to stay, but you need to ask them. Yeah, I, if I if I ask them, it looks like I'm saying that we can't cope on our own. Yeah. But... I'd like you to be here, but you've got to request it. 
and that, which I think is fair enough. And it is, and it shows that Topol Topol obviously likes Archer. You know, well, she's... Archer, Archer obviously likes likes her as well, and he's he's quite willing to have her as the first yeah. op- as his off science officer. And he says, she's you know, proved the self trustworthy to him. And he says, and like, he I've got to there, put my grudges he, behind me. How he how it has to be done. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and then when they you get that. You know, don't be afraid of the wind. So sort of he says there's an ion storm. Should we go around it? Probably. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's probably not a bad idea. You, you're not proving out, Archer, by going through an ion storm. <laughs> anyway, and then we get the the final flashback to the the ship flying and everything. So yeah, and we get the message from Earth that they're not being recalled. No, they can... out there. The mission has gone well. They can go ahead. They're staying out there on the mission. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's... I, I think it's a decent pilot episode. I, I don't well, think it's the best. I, I think I prefer DS9s. But, like, if you think we've had The Cage, Encounter at Farpoint, mm. um, Emissary, Caretaker, and now we've got Broken Bow, it's definitely not the worst. No, it's not. I mean, it's definitely better than Encounter at Farpoint. It, it probably on par with Caretaker, maybe. Yeah, yeah um, it, does, it does well at establishing them. Yeah, it does. Um, and one thing I will say, like, we got the nice... Early on when we got the Enterprise launching and everything, that still holds up and Enterprise is the first one that never built a model. Yeah, no, it does. It, the... it, it was CGI, and the CGI has held up really well. Yeah, it's pretty decent for this sort of era on a TV budget. Yeah, yeah. I think it is pretty good. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, it's, it's decent. It's an, it's an intriguing start to the Temporal Cold War. I'm looking forward to digging into it a bit more in yeah, later episodes. Yeah, find out more. We've, we've just got a few teasers here. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll carry on. We don't with... really know what the Temporal Cold War really is. No. Yeah. And maybe we never will, but we'll we're gonna see what we find out. So we'll be back next time to look at a few more of them. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at retrekpod. You can email us retrekpod at gmail.com or search for us on Facebook and join the group where we can chat about temporal cold wars or lower decks or whatever you fancy talking about. Yeah. If we uh, like, obviously, if we hear anything about. When any of these are going to be released, we will let you know straight away. Yep, absolutely. Uh, thanks for trekking with us this time. We'll see you next time on the retrack. Thank you. Bye bye. Fascinating.